Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by Owen Hughes Hello. and Callum Petch. Hello. As we take a look at the last fortnight in film mm-hmm. um, and plenty of new or newish releases as we weren't here last week because Owen was very ill. He was yeah. dying very slowly. It was yes. just a culmination of, it was just fate intervening to stop us recording, I think. Um, and releasing an episode where we reviewed La La Land whilst Brooker... Uh, Dear friend Brooker was still reeling from it. Uh, he absolutely <laughs> fucking detested it, apparently. Well, because um, yeah, he, so got... he clearly just cannot experience joy. That's obviously the problem right there. Uh, that is the, everybody's problem. They can't experience yeah. joy. If they don't yeah. like La La Land, then, you uh, know. Hey, 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 you saw that SNL sketch, I'm assuming. You... Nope. Okay, well, uh, everybody should just go watch that because it's, uh, like, it's two cops interrogating Aziz and Zari over the fact that he said he didn't particularly like La La Land that much and just getting <laughs> okay. really, like, angry and defensive over it. Well, I mean. Yeah, Brooker didn't like it, but maybe we did because we were reviewing that, Manchester by the Sea, and some other stuff as well, quite a few other things. Tension building, the suspense, yes. Steve. Yes. yes. I like or, it. Or me speaking just of, forgetting. Speaking of suspension building, who's currently ahead in the quiz, Steve? Me, 2 0, and we're, and mm. we're uh, going on to the quiz now. And um, if Owen loses to you, Callum, he has got a lovely film to watch. I'm not watching... If it's that, I'm telling you, if it's that fucking surreal Essex thing that Paul sent me a screener of, I'm just not going to. I point blank refuse. I will go out and buy a DVD of Starving Games and watch that instead. There's there's rules, and you have to adhere to them. Anyway, the quiz this week <laughs> is going to take the form of one that, that Paul did recently, and I think it's um, a rip-off of one that the National Lottery do on their quiz show um, <laughs> which is basically we're, we're just at the bottom of the barrel these which days which is aren't basically we? Um, I've got some actors and actresses and I've got their filmography and you have to tell me how many films of theirs you can name wait um, are we playing who dares wins are you Nick Knowles <laughs> yes I, I'm very much him well, a more um, charming version of Nick Knowles yeah. which isn't that hard because so, Nick Knowles has the charisma of a balloon tied to a wet floor sign so well, Nick Fucking Knowles, as the half-man, half-biscuit, there it goes. <laughs> Spoiling Good Friday, my ex-love sent to me. Twelve drummers singing, eleven chairmen dancing, ten mascots whinging, nine stewards flapping, eight christening, invite seven cows are barking, six pickers strumming. Anyway, um, I've kept it short. I've only got three actors or actresses, just just so we can uh, get on with a lot of film reviewing. First <laughs> off, it's going to be the, the the two main stars of La La Land. So uh, first up, Emma Stone. Callum, how many of her films do you think you could name? I'm going to go with the usual modest starting point here and say five. Right. Name five 
Emma Stone films. This is going from um, what's on her Wikipedia page and the earliest entry being 2007. I will not name any films. I'll just go for the earliest one, 2007. It does not count any films that are yet to be released in the United Kingdom. So, Owen, how many Emma Stone films do you think you can name? Six. Six. Mm-hmm. Callum, mm-hmm. do you think you could name more than six? I am going to live dangerously and say eight. Oh. No chance. I can't do eight. Right then, Callum. Name right. eight Emma Stone films. Okay, uh, La La Land, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Super Bad. Yeah. Easy A. Yeah. Um, Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. It's four. Gangster Squad. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Birdman. Yeah. A six. Uh, Movie Forty Three. Yeah. And I can think of two others that you've not mentioned. But I can't obviously put in. Overcrudes. Yes. Uh, I think the two that Owen was referring to was The Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. (laughs) The easy ones. But anyway, you you did what you need to do. You came, you saw, you conquered, and you're 1-0 up. Next up is Ryan Gosling. Um, Owen, you can go first this time. How many Ryan Gosling films do you think you can name? His uh, first credited appearance was 1997, according to his Wikipedia page. 97. Uh, I have no idea what that is. Uh, oh, I'll start with five. I'll say five. Okay. Callum, any advance on five Ryan Gosling films? I'll up it seven. Owen, do you, do you considering you need this point? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll have to. I'll, I'll go eight. I'll go eight. You're going eight. Yep. Cam, would you like to advance that on eight? Does, that does not sound like a confident man. I will I, I will let him name them. <laughs> right. Oh, name eight <laughs> Ryan Gosling films. Well, La La Land. Yes. And Gangster Squad, as yeah. I just mentioned. There's, there's two. That's that's uh, yeah. 25% of what you're aiming for. <laughs> um, Drive and Only God Forgives. Yeah, that's the halfway. Place Beyond, beyond the Pines. Yeah. Uh, the Nice Guys, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Notebook. Yeah, that's um, seven. Um, so I just need one more. Yeah. Uh, Blue Valentine. Blue Valentine. Um, yes, you're correct. You've done it. Yes. Like I said, you forgot all, if you forgot both the Derek Kian fans movies, I would I know, have been better than you. Also, Crazy did... Stupid Love as well, but completes the Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling trifecta there. There we go. Trivia. I, I've um, a bit of a tenuous link to La La Land with this one. I was trying to because it wasn't a great deal of, of actors in you know a great deal of ones with big filmographies, and the director yeah. himself hasn't got the the biggest back catalogue. So <laughs> I looked at the last film he was involved in, which was he was a writer on on Ten Cloverfield Lane, and I went for John Goodman. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, his first credited appearance on Wikipedia for films being 1983. Callum, how many John Goodman films do you think you could name? I'm going to jump right ahead and say eight. Not confident. Eight John Goodman I'm going to have to go higher. I'm going to have to say nine. Callum, would you uh, like ten. to advance nine? You fucking... Ten? Mm. Oh, that's brave. Owen, ten <laughs> or... Uh, Eleven. See, Callum, Callum knows that, that there is no... He's in a no lose situation because if he loses this, it affects <laughs> him in no way whatsoever. If he loses, I get the point. Isn't that the well, I mean, 
other than the shame and embarrassment I have to carry around for not knowing all so, the intricacies of John Goodman's film. <laughs> so, so all Callum has to do, because Owen, if you get this wrong, you lose. If Callum wins or you don't get as many films as what you say you can, yeah. you lose the quiz, you lose 3 0, and I make you watch something. And as it's 3 0, you should re- it's a whitewash, you should really have to wash, watch it. So Callum can just keep bumping you up. He could say 20, you've got to go 21. <laughs> Yeah, but if he fails, if I say no, he can do it, and then he can't name twenty. I yeah, get but it the doesn't point, it doesn't I? matter because I got another. I got two more chances to beat you in the quiz at least, and it doesn't affect Callum <laughs> whatsoever because what, what does he care? Uh, God, um, all so he loses say... is a slight bit of pride. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm going to say twelve. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to say thirteen, and I don't think I can do thirteen. <laughs> Fourteen. <laughs> Fifteen. This isn't gonna. This is just not gonna happen. Are we allowed TV? No, just it's just films? films. But I will. I will allow um, straight to, to video or straight to TV films. Right now, now that he's said fifteen, I kind of. I, I, there's a part of me wants to push up to sixteen just so he puts it up to seventeen. But I know if I say sixteen, I'll just make me name them now because uh, as if like a fuck this. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> name fifteen John Goodman movies. Oh, I win. Fuck sake. Go on, which on. I I could probably do, but let's see how you do first. If Owen right. can't, I have if, been trying to scribble some down. If, if Owen can't, just just for fun, Callum, you got to do the difference. So if he names eight, then you got to do the other seven, just for a laugh. Enough, yeah. Come on, man, Owen, cheating, having scribbled down a whole load of names. Let's, um, let's yeah, trying to think off the top of my head. What the fuck was he in? Um, <laughs> God damn it! He's been, in lots, he's been in lots. He's been in more than fifteen films. Oh, good. I can say that. that easy, doesn't it? <laughs> um, right. Okay. Let's go for some Coen Brothers ones to start with. Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, Inside Lou and Davis. Mm-hmm. Raising yeah. Arizona. And uh, now I'm a bit stumped. The Artist, because uh, I watched that quite recently. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah. Well, slow uh, down. I'm trying to keep up here. You, yeah, check in to make sure they're real. Can I just start no, naming fake ones? I'm just counting on my fingers. Okay. I'm counting. Don't worry. One five right now. Five. I think he was in Barton Fink, but I didn't watch that one. Um, Yeah, he is. Okay, cool. That's good. Oh, the Flintstones, of course. Yeah. The famous Fred Flintstone. Yeah, that's seven. You're doing well. If you get get even just one wrong, Owen, it's over, as per Who Dares Wins Rules. Yes. What fucking Coen Brothers movies are there? I don't. I don't think he was in a single man. How much longer do you leave him stumbling around like this, Steve? I mean, basically, um, it's not one of them quiz shows where I need you to show you're working. That just winds me up. How did you get to this? I don't care. Get the answers. Fine. What have I seen him in? He wasn't. In, he wasn't in. Uh... Oh, hang on. Uh, or was not, he's he? Not sure, oh, he? oh, brother, where art thou? Was he in uh, that? Yes, he was. Okay. That's eight. Okay. Voiceover stuff. He must have done voice. Oh, uh, Transformers. Um, Which one? Four. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, that was a yeah, Age of Extinction. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Transformers Four. Transformers Four. Thank you. That's, That's nine. nine. Um, was he in Drive? No, I don't believe he was. No. was he not in Drive. Was he not in the Gary? Oh, fuck. No, no Matt Albert Brooks and Brian Cranston. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Shall I follow him the other Game six? Game over. Get one then. Yeah. Okay, right. Now, now that you mentioned Flintstones, Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> right. Okay. Was it? Was he in that one? Yeah, they brought back everybody for that Flintstones one. Yeah, Argo. 
Yeah. I'll go. Mm. Yeah. B movie. Yeah. Jumper's new groove. Yeah. Oh fuck! Monsters Inc. Yeah, Monsters Inc. and Monsters <sighs> University. And the University, of course. Yeah. And funnily enough, Cars, as as Sully had a cameo in Cars. Really? Well, there was a. Oh, there was. It says here James P. Sully Sullivan truck voice cameo. Oh, that have been like a that been like an Easter egg or something. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. Well, yeah. In any in any case, I'm, Owen loses three now. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Owen, you are in fact going to be watching Essex Space Bin. <laughs> I'm not watching it. I tell. I told you, I'm not watching it. You are. I know exactly what you're going to say. I am genuinely not going to watch that. You, you have are. zero chance of me watching Essex fucking Space Bin. No, you are. Anyway, yeah. um, that is the, that is the quiz. Owen, you're going to have to watch it. Me and Paul will find a way for you to watch it. Don't worry about that. Anyway, on to the news. And... I'm just going to go on in the background whilst I play FIFA. Will that be acceptable? No. I'll just shove it on in the background. No. I'll do some housework. No. I'll fucking... No. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll do the news now. And there was one major bit of news coming out this week. Um, well, actually, today, day of recording, which was the title for Star Wars Episode Eight, has been announced, and it is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Which would you believe? I saw people straight away saying it was a spoiler. I mean, yeah, but, but then so is Return of the Jedi. So in the same Revenge, way, yeah. And so yeah. is Revenge of the Sith, and so are a lot of film titles. It's it's absolute nonsense. And yeah, so, is, so, is, think... so is Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know they're going to raid a lost ark. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. Mhm. That's you very know, true. You know, back to the future. They're going back to the future. Well, yeah. They didn't. They, well, they went to the past. But yeah. J- Jurassic anyway. Park. There's a park with dinosaurs. I mean, it's it's very. Um, I, I I'm struggling to give a shit about this title. So Steve, why why should anybody be pleased or disappointed with the title of the Last well, Jedi? They, sh- they shouldn't really, because it doesn't. You know, what does it mean? People are already trying to guess what it means. It could mean anything. It could mean nothing. Well, it won't mean nothing. It will. It will mean something. <laughs> It'll have uh, some relevance. One would assume. Yeah, to it. People are trying to speculate what it means. I mean, Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. We found out in the Force Awakens. He tried tra- training some more, and then Kylo Ren. He went bad and he killed them all. So Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. If it, there's any more significance to it than that, we don't or, know. And there's no kind it, of point second guessing it. Really, is it Jedi as in like? Because you don't say Jedi is just, you know, it's like sheep, isn't it? The last sheep. I mean, it could be the last singular sheep. Yeah, the plural, the of, last... Jedi, the plural of Jedi is Jedi. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. I will but not say many no more crappy analogies in my life than that. But <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, it could be but, plural. But, but, then who, but then who are the other ones? You know, by the end of this film, are we going to have him training up loads more? Yeah, maybe. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, it is big news, but it's not really a lot to talk about. It's big. I mean, it's. I think it's kind of a cool title, and it kind of is a little bit of a, a throwback to the old ones, isn't it? Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi. I mean, yeah, well, they I all, can see. All the, all the Star Wars films, the titles have, have meant something, have linked to the film in some way. So New Hope is obviously... There's a new hope. It's Luke Skywalker. It's <laughs> hope. Uh, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back. The <laughs> Jedi. The Jedi come back. It's almost uh, like they did it yeah. on purpose, you know. The Force awakened. The Force awakened in someone. <laughs> Awoken. Um, yeah. Yeah. It awaked. Um, <laughs> the Phantom menace. There was a menace. No one knew he was. He was a bit of a phantom. 
attack of the clones and clones done some attacking. I'm glad we've got this cleared up yeah. for anyone yeah. who was it's left so, in... Uh, Rogue, you know, Rogue One was like that. quality that was just, that was here we got. Yeah. Exactly. This is how you analyse a film. You, know, yeah. you look at the title and then you work out that it means what it's about. Yeah. I mean, so, in fairness, there's really not much we can say about Star Wars until they start dropping more content. I think, right I think that's the point it's, of what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think one of the things we were going to talk about last week in the news as well is um, the week before that, when it was just me and Owen on the podcast, we spoke about um, Carrie Fisher passing away and we mm-hmm. were speculating based on what happened in Rogue One with the, with the technology they used with uh, Peter Cushing's character, mm-hmm. whether they'd... Um, whether they'd bring her back and they, they said no they're not going to they're not going to CGI her into it or anything like that they're just going to leave it at that so obviously Which, we know that's not going to happen yeah 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 mm-hmm. but uh, but they, I mean, they're, that's they're, not like the end of the conversation is it I mean the, the film no the filming had finished before she passed away so they don't have to explain her absence until the following film really um, like they four years to figure out some kind of giant reason mm-hmm. for yeah. doing so yeah um and we can all just have a nice big cry together in december of this year um <laughs> uh, but we um also had uh, woody harrelson is going to be playing han solo's mentor in the han solo spin-off film um which again film that still doesn't really need to exist but it's phil lord and chris miller so i am there anyway it's got star wars on it and after after rogue one then everyone's going to be really hyped for it i said this at the time about rogue one it's just basically you now disney have the monopoly of the christmas blockbuster and you know i know it's not that different from what went before anyway it's just now every film's got star wars slapped on the title but it's 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 true they can just keep churning out shit that as callum points out it's just pointless and it's a story nobody needs but they're gonna do it and they'll keep doing it and so what, you're basi- gonna so what you're basically saying is that now Disney are like the X Factor and that we need somebody willing to make a Rage Against the Machine style protest to take them down. Is that, yeah. Is uh, that yeah. what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, you exactly. think, do you think it'll be Avatar? No. Because we've got no. four of those no. to come as a, as a crafty subtweet tried to mention. Well, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them didn't Oh, fuck off. Exactly. But, you know, that's what we're left with now. It's this scramble for... Why is that up up for Outstanding British Film? Why is that up for Outstanding British Film BAFTAs? High Rise was right fucking there, people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, like, that's basically what's going to happen now. We'll get a Han Solo solo movie. We'll get, you know, whatever the fuck they want. Chewbacca solo movie. A revisit to the Wookiee planet or whatever it was that was that shit Christmas thing that they did that you watched, Steve. I mean... So what, just, I'm, what I'm waiting for him to do is I'm waiting for George Lucas to die and then to redo the prequels. Properly. I have heard that mentioned. Um, well, 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 I mean, Ewan McGregor is clearly willing to go back to that Stockholm syndrome of a franchise. So yeah, well, what a surprise! Do you know the one character I always remember liking from Star Wars it was Qui Gon Jinn, and I was always disappointed they killed him off in Phantom Menace. Um, I think he, I think he had an interesting concept behind him that wasn't really looked at properly. Uh, I mean, he was there I, to serve a purpose, and then he did it, and then yeah. he was gone. I mean, there's no nothing extra needed from him. But imagine if they CGI'd Alec Guinness back into it; he'd be t- he'd, he'd turn in his grave, wouldn't he? he hated it. Well, didn't they CGI you um, and McGregor over Alec Guinness? In no, they they the cut, they spliced their voices. You oh, and McGregor, okay. came, Ewan McGregor yeah. actually came and recorded some new lines for it as well for Force Awakens. Uh, Plus, I mean, anyway, at this people, point, like list, listing the changes in Star, like that Lucas made afterwards in Star Wars, most features of that there is just it's pointless. We'll be here yeah, forever. It's, uh, yeah, 
Yep. Anyway, uh, let's stop boring people with Star Wars chat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, uh, the Razzie Awards nominations were just announced. Oh, those wacky, zany Razzie Awards. That, that, that's, uh, uh, like, that's literally all that we should just mention about that. Just just mention that they exist and then move on because they're not worth the time of day. Just, oh, who's yeah. getting worst kiss on screen this year? Who's getting the worst, you know, who's oh, got the no. worst abs? I don't give a fuck about the Razzies, no. to be honest. No, that's, Less that's than like, I give no, a fuck I'm pretty about sure the you're mostly just listing stuff from the MTV Movie Awards, actually. Which it's is, but interchangeable which are, which are, in my mind. Which are better than this. <laughs> Actually, didn't they try and make an effort to be a bit more? Yeah, the MTV. You know, yeah, yeah. Because you got because you had me on last year to um, go yeah. for actually really solid awards, and I mean they're better here than say Zoolander two being nominated for nine separate awards. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But hmm. you know, still can't really get excited about any of the Oscar films anyway. It's just award season this year is just doing nothing for me it, at all. No, it's not great. I mean, if it, I mean, I'll, I'll say this now because I'm because fortunately for the listeners, I'm not on the BAFTA or Oscar podcast this year. <laughs> um, is it like it's like like a lot of people have been trying to say that kind of like of oh it's wide open anything could be nominated but it, it's not really is it no, like like no. it's 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 a three way fight between La La Land Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight and La La Land will win basically La La Land's got it but in the bag yeah. I mean yeah it's got all and, and like like and the rest of the spots will just be filled up by all that stuff I mean there have been some good movies released uh, like I've, I've seen a couple of decent ones in that there so far but like most of it's kind of well, for us, anyway, it's been pushed into February, so we can't find out until it's too late. And there. But, like, rather than nominating shit like Lion, why not just actually reach back into, you know, deeper recesses of 2016? Because there were a lot of great movies released in 2016, and just pick from those. Maybe, you know, give John Goodman that 10 Cloverfield Lane award, not, like, you know, acting on instead of Viggo Mortensen or whatever. Mm. Um, or, or hell, you know, I would love to see a rival have a Best Picture nomination and maybe actually win shit, you know, just... Yeah, but like again, but of course. I mean, of those films from last year, I thought I thought that probably would be the one. You know, I thought that that if they were going to give it to a nomination to something that's a bit left field, Arrival's pro. I mean, it's just on the right cusp of being, you know, cerebral sci-fi enough to get into an Oscar nomination. Yeah, I don't think that one would be like. you know, like when they announce when they nominate stuff like Martian, Mad Max, whatever year, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that gets yeah. all the nominations, doesn't actually win anything, but looks like that. You know, that they pay attention to sci-fi. That win. Who said that? This, I think it. I think it was. It was either Brooker or Tony, uh, who I was talking to about this, and they. I can't remember who it was. Sorry, guys, uh, <laughs> but they said that. Um, uh, you know, there isn't a Mad Max this year. There's nothing that's gonna be just a bit left field and mm. just you know make people go oh. You know, yeah. they're not all just yeah, so, old yeah. So men why, who... so why not try? Yeah, you know, like, why not try and just reach back there, pick your ten clothes? You're like, fucking Zootopia came out last year. Why is everybody forgetting Zootopia came out last year? Well, yeah. I mean, what we've got. I mean, because the Oscar nominations come out tomorrow morning at time of recording, yeah. Tuesday morning. So we've got, you know, what's probably going to be there: Moonlight, Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Lion, Jackie. Uh, what was that film Denzel Washington did? Uh, Fences. Uh, yeah. I don't, mm. I, no, Hidden Figures, I think, will be nominated, but I don't see Fences or Jackie getting anything other than acting nominations from what I've heard. Do so that, Yeah, no, I, get, I imagine Lion will get in there because it's a Weinstein movie, and despite the fact that it's garbage, the Weinsteins are good at parlaying garbage into Oscar mm-hmm. nominations for no fucking reason. Uh, Arrival, again, will be the, the slightly left-field choice, but won't receive anything. And then... Uh, Do you reckon Silence might get a nomination? No, Director, no. maybe? 
No, it's too, I think it was at least too late, and also it's already just kind of like like it's 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 been you know like disappearing from memories quite quickly as that as well. So, which is a shame. I really liked Silence. I thought but, it was uh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there we go. Instead, we'll just pretend that Andrew Garfield's inevitable Oscar nomination for Hacksaw <laughs> Ridge actually is actually for Silence instead because he was actually really good in Silence. He, uh, I hated him at first and grew to appreciate him a bit more in that but like well i think i, I think that's arguably the entire point of course but there we go I d- well maybe maybe but yeah i mean hacksaw ridge with yeah. his fucking forest gump accent is yeah. just it's just, everything about that just looks Sorry, I'm so time, bad. i'm trying to time travel back a fortnight now to appear on that last podcast where i could yeah the one that we didn't silence. do Right, that's right, I'm sad and blue Cause I can't do the boogaloo I'm lost, I'm lost, can't do my thing That's why I sing, gimme, gimme that thing oh. Anyway, anyway, any, anyway, 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 uh, yep, I saw at a cinema screening, no less, um, Labyrinth for the first time. Jim Henson's Labyrinth, yes. uh, which I am just like, like, which I'm like genuinely ashamed about the fact that I had never <laughs> seen Labyrinth before now. Like, because like as a child and still today, I even I um, adored the works of Jim, Jim Henson and the Muppets. Um, like I like I love Monty Python. I love the visual styles of Jim Henson. And um, as my teenage years came on, rather to a slightly lesser degree, um, of it, uh, the works of David Bowie as well. So the fact that I had not seen Labyrinth until two Saturdays ago now, technically, um, and like before, or that I hadn't even heard of it until like a couple of years ago, um, I, like I, I consider shameful, quite frankly, especially since I've been meaning to watch it for a year after you know finding out about Bowie's death and just never got I mean, around I'm not to gonna- it. I'm not going to rag on you, but I mean, f- only finding out about it a couple of years ago, thats that seems um, surprising. I live, And I don't I know live, whether it's a generational thing, but I, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, like I'm, I'm especially surprised too, because after like shortly before I actually went and saw it, my dad was going on about how he adored Labyrinth when he was younger and couldn't believe I hadn't seen it. So, <laughs> Well, you can blame him for that then. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, I am ashamed of how long it took for me to see Labyrinth. And especially since after having watched it, I now feel like my childhood was legitimately deprived by not having done so. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. I, I love Labyrinth. I do. I love Labyrinth. Um, primarily for two reasons. Um, like The first is the film's like utterly magnificent visual designs. Um, like, like the look, the feel, of the film, like, um, like, like, he- like Henson's always master of puppetry and, um, set designs and that such, like in a way that's still largely unmatched by today's designers and nine figure computer aided budgets and designs and all that stuff from that there. But he, like, even by his standards, Labyrinth is a visual tour de force, um, to look at. Like it, like there's obviously a lot of influences taken from, you know, medieval folk tales and early 19th century fairy tales, which is, you know, of course, the whole point of the movie. But like Henson and his team seem to basically have used this film equally as much as like a playground for them to just indulge all their wildest, um, like most craziest possible um, designs and effects attempts, uh, like the fireies or the designs of the goblins or like the world and all that such a matter in a way like. Like, but yet is still able to feel like a cohesive living world, like that's easy to get lost in. Just like, like the, the majesty of um, the visual, like, like the visual tricks of um, 
obvious, you know, the MC Escher room with the castle, the labyrinth itself with its walls and perspectives, the way that basically everything in there is alive in some different way. And you get all these different little bits of puppetry and such out there. Like, like it's masterful. It really is. And just adore. Like, I, 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 I was basically so in awe of the film's visual design and special effects. I barely paid attention to David Bowie's legendary crotch, which itself was <laughs> magnificent. Um, it bulges like, like nothing else, doesn't it? Yeah, it's oh, uh, oh. pretty astonishing. Yeah, yeah, like it, 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 it is. Whew. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, like, so, like, visually, it's amazing and outstanding, and just like a brilliant reminder of hence, uh, and even to this day, is still relatively unmatched in um, terms of visual ambition in um, films and like family films, and especially uh, the other reason why I love it is just like how sincere and earnest the film is. Um, this is an mm-hmm. important. This is an important part for another film we're going to talk about in a bit um, as to why I love that film as well. So, you know, tying it all together. Um, but like all of Jim Henson's works are, you know, like sweetly campy and completely earnest and unashamed ways. Like it's arguably the reason why the Muppets have sort of floundered in the 21st century. Um, like let's do some Muppets themselves, although we don't talk about their 2000s output at all um like it's more due to the world and generation like around them turning more cynical mistaking earnest sincerity for childishness like in um in goofiness uh, like in a bad way but um like it's fully on display in labyrinth as well like it has its moments where it you know draws sort of attention to the tropes and um styles of morality play um fantasy tales you know labyrinth mm-hmm. is uh but mostly it plays all completely straight and it's just this earnest coming of age tale of a film of a you know a intentionally relatively thinly written um fancy heroine drops in a world who learns life lessons and you know res- resolves a world map there through um mysterious tests and that there as well with you know big lovable sidekicks and swinging for the fences emotions and that stuff and it's like it's so there's so much like genuine heart and joy and investment in the style, like in the entire premise of the film, but and playing it straight, but it's just kind of near impossible to not be won over by it. It's just a lot of fun as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, like, they, you you get the you can see that they're having fun making it, and that's. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was agonizingly labor intensive, but yeah. at the same time, it's it's infectious. The sort of. Uh, Fantasy stuff, so yeah, it. yeah, like it's it's it, it looked like it was fun to make, except for the baby who was menaced by the goblins. That that child definitely <laughs> looked traumatized for life. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, like like it's all just wonderful, and so like all, I I kind of just like love all of the film, like even its outdated, it's clearly outdated CGI moment, like like CGI, which of course was probably cutting edge for the time, but who knows? Uh, like one or two, like a couple of the songs being forgettable. Um, Jennifer, Con- <gasps> how dare you? Jennifer Connelly's awful acting awful acting like 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 i love it all like like i'm mm-hmm. like like i'm pointing these things out but it, like it's like but i'm not saying there's like criticisms and that like, <laughs> no I like, it's all part of the total package but i just adore watching like i like i i love i loved all this film and again i feel like my youth was robbed for not having seen it and the knowledge that my first viewing of it was on a nice proper cinema screen is only bringing me mild comfort quite frankly mm-hmm. you know i wish you, you'd have said before we started recording what you were going to do for what we've been watching so i could have done an allo joke when we introduced ourselves at the start of the podcast <laughs> oh well but, you know it's too late too late it's never too late have you watched dark crystal or are you going to watch dark crystal go, go, going to, going to which means that by my usual time frame i should be watching it <laughs> about four years yeah right okay it is on netflix i believe so you know yes yeah, so, yes yeah, so i was laughing less of an year, excuse i still never got down to it <laughs> Yeah, Dark Crystal is less. Um, uh, 
it's darker, I think. I, have I mean, heard, I, know... I have heard that it's darker. Yeah. 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 It's, anyways, let's it... move on. Because otherwise, I'm going to start tr- wanting to talk about Crystal. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I'm going to start wanting to talk about Crystal Maze, and then we'll be here all day. So. Oh, Richard hmm. Ayoade. Uh, good yeah. choice. Anyway, carry on. Yes. Carry on. Anyways, move on. Move on. Okay, Owen, what have you seen? I have been watching a lot of Nigel Neal stuff lately. Um, so I'm just going to pick out a few just to give them a very brief overview. I think most people will have seen something of his without necessarily knowing who he is. Uh, he was a science fiction writer. He, he worked a lot in TV during the 50s, 60s, 70s. Worked for BBC, ITV, put a lot of their sort of weird uh, dramas together. It was kind of the backbone for them. I think most people who have an interest in sci-fi or Hammer, uh, the film studio, Hammer Horror, uh, or before that they were just Hammer, I think most people will have an awareness of Quatermass um, to some degree. Um, and there was there's a film of his called Quatermass Experiment, which I rewatched, um, uh, which is his film from the 50s, which is adapted from his BBC series about Professor Quatermass, who's a scientist who's failed space program um, or rocket launch ends up accidentally introducing an alien species to the UK. It's like really early sci-fi, you know, it's all pre-moon um, landing and all that stuff. It was at the height of the American sci-fi space race craze uh, in terms of their movies and stuff, all the, the things that came out of Universal. However, I mean, it is kind of, it is kind of invasion of the body snatchers. It's a little bit more... Like H.G. Wells' um, War of the Worlds, uh, the book at least, as, uh, rather than than the film, uh, or at least the first half of the book when everything's all landing and it's all in this little country village and stuff. Um, it's, I would say it's not particularly typical of the era, but it, and because, mainly because it is very British, but it's a proper, a proper classic sci-fi story. It has dated a little bit. It's dated in terms of the way certain male characters address certain female characters and all that kind of thing that you would expect from, you know, a film like this. Uh, but it doesn't take away from the, the enjoyment, as particularly from the sort of underlying concept, because it tells the whole the whole story or as much of the story as it can because you also know it's very much uh, you're very much aware that they've taken an entire series of episodes like hour-long episodes and squished it into a 90-minute movie um that's not to say it's like cut up it's not a like uh, a cut job of the tv show they actually went out and re-scripted and reshot and did everything again for the movie um but you, you you get the impression there's more going on than they could actually tell in this little thing and there's a dozen sequels, but I haven't seen any of those. I also watched um, after the creepy, ghostly goings-on in The Stone Tape, which was that audio play by Peter Strickland last year, which I did review on the podcast. I don't know if you remember, um, Steve, when we were talking about that. It was the thing that was on Radio 4 uh, around Halloween, which it was based on Nigel Neal's screenplay for The Stone Tape, which was originally a tv movie so i did watch that and it's fucking awesome uh it's creepy as hell it's got like a but it's got like it's a different take on it because it, it the, the essential premise is like this if what if stone could record sound in the same way that like vinyl could for example just to say it kind of traps all these echoes in but instead of just sound it can capture um events of the past and so they keep hearing this 
this noise coming from the cellar and this this spectre appears and you know they work it out with science and they figure out what's going on and it's but it is still really creepy and it's about the breakdown of marriages of relationships of grief and loss and all that kind of thing so very good very clever and exactly what you expect from Nigel Neal it's it's so like intricate but it has the feel of did you watch either of you two did you watch the inside number nine Christmas special the TV. No. Um, oh, no. Okay. Go and watch that. It's perfect send up of this kind of thing because the stone tape is exactly the kind of thing that it's, it's um, a kind of stitch up of, but it's brilliant. Um, and also finally, I'm, I'm only going to very quickly mention this one. Um, there's the quite brilliant sixties dystopian sci-fi called year of the sex Olympics, which was from 1968. And, um, it was set in the, the distant future where uh, to keep the population appeased, they constantly beam what is effectively reality TV at them all the time. This is in 1968, so it was way ahead of its time. And um, what happens is they have these basically pornography and that begins to have less of an effect it's a, you know like if you if you've read Brave New World you know like Soma and the effect that that basically has so basically it's that but with TV they use TV and sex and begin, uh, gradually people become desensitized to the sex and they need something more so they start to show real people doing real things and um, that instead replaces the kind of sex and it becomes about then violence people want more violence and stuff it's just it's <laughs> it's really good it's like it, it's it's unbelievable that it was written when it was um, and how prophetic it kind of was in a way. Obviously, it's to an extreme, but, you know, it predated the rise of stuff like Big Brother, of um, Coach Trip, a survivor, of all those things that came out about 30 years later. I mean, just fantastic idea and just brilliantly executed and really kind of a harrowing story with a, a, a kind of pertinent ending to it that, I don't really want to explain too much, but I watched it on YouTube. I'm going to say that it's on YouTube. I, you know, a TV movie from the 60s that is made by a guy who's long since dead. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem too much with me talking about pirating that, are they? But, you know, if you want to legitimately find it somewhere and pay for it, then well done you. But it is on YouTube and I highly recommend seeking it out and, and giving it a watch because it's it's just fantastic. It's just brilliant. Okay. So that was me. That was me done. That's, Nigel Neal, have a look and that's... see. Because he's an interesting guy as well. And I will very quickly mention, just I'm not going to go on, but uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, he scripted that for John Carpenter and then found out how violent they were making it and wanted his name scrubbed off it. So he's really kind of anti that extreme level of threat and violence um but it still makes really good stories so yeah you might have seen something of his and not known about it but check him out online okay uh i have got three minutes to do my review now as uh Owen yeah, has yeah, a yeah time limit. that's how he do stuff and then so yeah. it's spending, spending five minutes yeah. like five seconds just going on and on and on <laughs> on and on and on sorry basically he's trying to tell me my opinion doesn't matter <laughs> um but it does. I will talk less about La La Land and Manchester by the Sea, however. Okay. You can have that time. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, 
I saw uh, one hour photo, the 2002 Robin Williams film um, that I hadn't seen before, um, despite being a fan of his. And yeah, he plays, it's it's not one of his comedy roles, put it that way. Um, I think he's known for either comedic comedic roles or sort of creepy, um, more serious roles, or, or Mrs. Doubtfire, possibly both. (laughs) depending <laughs> on how you look at it um yeah <laughs> yeah uh he he is um a photo technician at a supermarket where they print people's photos who becomes obsessed with a family um and yeah it's just he's very creepy in it very very dark very you know just unsettling but he always has a kind of a eccentricity that's a word isn't it Mm-hmm. It is. There we go. Um, to, to kind of his performance, whichever kind of thing he's doing, um, serious or comedy, he's always a bit eccentric in some way and a bit, you know, not hyper, but. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, there's, there's a kind of awkwardness to him, um, which is. I haven't seen. I have to say though, I haven't seen the film for. I saw it when it came out on DVD, and we rented it from Blockbuster. That's how long ago it was, so um, it's been a long time. But I do. There is that lingering effect that you you remember it for his performance. Yeah, and also the director, I think, is quite good. He does really. The director does really well, and you know, he went on to do stuff like Never Let Me Go, which is, or in a different kind of way, but also kind of eerie. I think he's, the director's got a knack for that. Yeah, and Robin Williams is very good in those kind of roles as well. Uh, when you're growing up, you just only ever see him in comedy roles or family films. You see him in like Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, that kind of thing. And then when you sort of get older, you can start watching him in, in more in different films, and you sort of notice how good he actually is and how versatile he is. Well, yeah, I mean he's done everything from like Good Will Hunting to Insomnia to One Hour Photo, and then yeah. Stuff like you say, Jumanji, Night at the Museum, that kind of thing. Yeah, he's, uh, he was voice, very versatile. Voice of the Genie and Aladdin. Yeah, uh, World's Greatest Dad, one of his last films. Well, not one of his last films, but you know, a 2009 film. That's a great, reasonably unknown film that he's in. Time now for us to review the three new releases from the last fortnight. Uh, the first of which being La La Land, um, the musical film starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. I, every time I say Ryan Gosling's name, my, my brain's going Reynolds, 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 <laughs> and it just mm. you're too hypnotised by the Reynolds songs that we're currently in. Yes. that's. Yeah. I just have to keep thinking, no, it's not Reynolds. And you're thinking, Ryan, and I'm going to say it one day, and I'm just going to make myself look yeah. even stupider than I usually do. Mm. Anyway. 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 Have film, they starred film. in a movie together, Ryan Reynolds and Gosling? I can't think of... I don't think they've done anything together, have they? Don't think so. Where Maybe that's no? something that you can there find out in a quiz next week. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, films that actors have been in together. No, just, no, like, just pick it, just pick it, and make like and make Steve the person about that, and just make it purposely Reynolds or Gosling. <laughs> no, there you go. Yeah, right. in the bag. Right. Films we're singing in. Films we're singing in. Yeah. Um, largely Tosh, aren't they? Uh, I mean, the majority. 
Am I, I on my own? I, I mean, that's maybe unfair. I think Tosh is probably just a reflection of my personal opinion towards them as opposed to how well constructed they are. But I have found... You're not really much of a fan of musicals. It's basically what you're trying to say. Yeah, what I'm saying... I, it's, a, it's this thing, like, I can't help it. I mean, I do watch them and I try to watch the classics and I try to watch these, you know, Singing in the Rain, I just... I couldn't stand it. Is it, is, like, it, is it musical films that you don't like? Would you quite happily go and see a a, a stage show musical? I've, I've seen Avenue Q, which I don't think counts. Um, <laughs> is, that but, all, you know, is that the one with Muppets? Yeah, the puppets yeah. in it that are talking about, you know, internets for porn and all that stuff. That was kind of funny. But again, I mean, that's that is slightly different. What What bugs me with films that are musicals is every time somebody starts tap dancing or starts, um, you know, jumping on a bench and singing or there's a closed, quiet monologue scene where they single out their feelings, instantly takes me out of the, the picture. You know, I kind of think that it sounds really pretentious, but I kind of think movies, when they're working, you forget you're watching a movie, right? You forget that you're... That's not necessarily the case for every good movie, but for, for the majority, you could say you, you forget that you're sat in this Cineworld screen in Didcot and, you know, what you're actually doing is sat next to some sweaty bastard on your left and some minging twat on your right. And you're actually in front of a big screen and everyone around you is munching and slurping and lips are smacking all over the place. And, you know, that goes out of your mind. You're, you're absorbed into the picture, right? You're watching it and nothing else matters. Um... Every time someone starts to, you know, starts toe-tapping or, you know, they start clicking their fingers and they're swaying a little bit and they start singing, I just completely... I'm, I'm never more aware of my surroundings. Ladies and, never gen- more aware. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to regret to inform you that Owen Hughes is taken, um, unfortunately. <laughs> Last I checked, you, you, had, you, you had a partner of some kind. Oh, I see. I guess you're going yeah. on your giant rant of just, oh God, people are the worst. They're sweaty. They've got li- like the smack of their lips. They're <laughs> tapping their feet. How dare they? God, they're the worst. I hate yeah, them. I, I wish they would drop dead. I should point out, I should point out, I often go to the cinema on my own. I'm not talking about sitting there with my wife, who's one of the, anyway. No, I, I mean, basically, I'm just, I can't, I can't get into musicals is my point. I just, I can't forget what I'm doing. So basically this movie was, you were guaranteed to not like it, basically. It's- I, yeah, I went. I try and go into all of them with an open mind. I tried to go into Les Mis with an open mind. I think that was the last big musical I saw in the cinema. Uh, I mean, that had the side effect of being a Tom Hooper movie, though. So and it also had the side effect of that, yeah. Um, and also had that weird realism stuff to it because they were just suddenly singing and it was all captured. Uh, did, that was a bit weird. But this is no different. This is no different. This is just, to me, anyway, is, um, you know... Fucking the, the the song about getting spotted and stuff. I just thought this is cringeworthy. This isn't good. And that I felt the same about almost all of the songs in the movie. And both me and Elisa, we sort of had the similar opinion. Like I, well, she she was a bit more bored than I was. I thought it was a good film that just happened to have awful songs in it. <laughs> and we both agreed that it's awful songs. They're they're not memorable songs. They're not catchy songs. They're not. I wouldn't say they're good songs. Um, it's almost like Damien Chazelle just got his mate in to do the music for him and kind of realised it's not great, but, you know, you know, he's got a bit of background. He's, uh, um, a bit of a background. He adores, a friend. Jazz. he adores jazz, as you probably also gather. From oh, yeah, and he doesn't only let you know, really. doesn't only let you know. And, and he basically made the entire press tour going around talking about how much he thanks his dad for getting him into jazz. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, I just, yeah, I mean, maybe, am I on my own here? Are you guys of a similar... Um, 
disposition? Do you have the same problem I do, or are you able to? to I'm going to see what Steve. Here? Actually, I know Steve. Yeah, I'm just going to say to Steve. I know you. You did like Late Miz, right? Yeah. So presumably, you don't have a problem like I do with with musicals. <laughs> Not really. Um, I do. I do get okay. your point about some some of them, and the, to me, this applies to the worst of them. That as soon as somebody starts tapping their foot or jumping on a bench or swinging around a lamppost, the song's going to happen and it can take you out of it and be a bit irritating. But for me, that's the worst of them. The best of them, it works. Um, With this one, for me, it's not as good as what everyone's making out. I think it's getting a lot of praise. In what way? In what way, though? I don't don't know. It's just... just, People seem to be sort of making out like an 8 or 9 out of 10. It's it's kind of a 6 or 7, really. But I think what people... um, are getting caught up in is the fact that it, it's different. It's got two very popular lead actors mm-hmm. um, with a very good director who's got a good track record um, and it's got some recent success. It's different because of the singing in it. It's a music, it's different. Um, but it's also got quite a, an unusual aesthetic to it, hasn't it? Yeah, so it's. it's, it's I mean, it is a bit <coughs> like the La La Land, you know, yeah. the fantasy world so of LA. So, kind of so, so it's different. It's a different style of film. It's different in terms of it's, got, it's a musical rather than a, a normal film. I just think people, if you give it two, three, five, ten years, it's going to be like if you watch The Artist now, you're going to think, why is I so hyped up about it? That is so funny you should mention like, that because that's it, exactly what happened like, to me. Like, yeah, it's good, but I, th- I think it's better than it is because it's different. It's a bit like. Mm. What was her name on um, Britain's Got Talent? Susan Boyle. Mm. Right? Stick with me with this. Stick with me with this analogy. <laughs> okay. Right. okay, okay. Let's, she's, 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 let's go. She's obviously a very good singer, but because you're not expecting her to be a good singer, because she's not attractive, she's an older woman, she's a bit weird, like, so when she starts singing and it's good, you think it's better than what it actually is because you're not expecting it. Yeah, I see, I know, I see what, what your point is, yeah. I think I think that's you know with it's extraordinary because it's not ordinary. Yeah. It's, Whereas if somebody yeah. who was more mainstream looking than Susan Boyle did that performance, you wouldn't get anywhere near the hype on it. And no, they think but, you know if this was if if La La Land, if you cut the songs out and kept the same plot, same look of the film, same style, same plot, same performances, but but just no no musical numbers it'd be an average movie yeah. with nice pictures and i think that's i think that's what people will ultimately see it as when they rewatch it in three five ten years time it's funny because latham matt latham who has been on the podcast before uh from the bottle episode and he's done stuff with um black hole media as well uh he was saying i was talking to him almost immediately after we saw the preview screening at cineworld and basically um he was saying that um, he liked all the musical bits and found all the stuff with the relationships and the tedious bit towards the middle of the film where they have that contrived argument. All of that he thought was just boring. He just thought it forgot that it was a musical and then threw some stuff in again towards the end. Um, but Callum, you, you, you're conspicuous in your silence at the moment. No, I'm just... You, I'm, I'm, where do you I'm, fall no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just standing back at the moment, just making snarky observations. Like, from what I've heard Steve is basically just as Ethan Zari in that SNL sketch. Like, I wish I was We're going to have to watch yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> do, do that while I'm yeah. doing my usual 10-minute taking over the podcast thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, okay. Uh, but, like, I, I, will, I, I will admit that um, La La Land is not perfect. 
like not in the slightest. In fact, one could even say so gracious. Yeah, yep. like one could even say that it is heavily flawed and be totally correct in that statement. Um, like it, mm-hmm. it gets more than a little aimless around the summer mark. Um, like I, I, I actually think the argument's fine. I think the argument is a great scene. Uh, but personally, I actually think that it would be a film that'd be better off if it actually just had a straight up intermission between spring and summer. Like, 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 like for that full um, throwback to old school golden age um, Hollywood musical. Um, like, yeah, the like MGM musical is basically yeah, what it's yeah, like, trying which to basically copy, be. Yeah, like, like, which it is basically trying to be included with a full dance in such a matter as well. Like, like I feel like if it had an actual full intermission in the middle as well, I think that really would have helped the pacing. And Gosling is kind of reminiscent of like Brando in um, West Side Story. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm going to get onto Gosling and Stone in a minute. Hang on there. Uh, okay, jumping ahead. Okay. Uh, like, it throws its all. But we we can get onto them, Callum. Okay, we. we sorry. Yeah, podcast. we. Okay. Yeah. Like, it throws its all behind the two main characters, uh, like Sebastian and uh, Mia, like, so totally that it doesn't bother to craft any semblance of supporting house to back them up so you're basically stuck with these two characters and if you like them then you're gonna love a movie otherwise there'll be nothing here for you much like um giselle did and whiplash except for the fact that whiplash had the excuse of being a psychological drama like with thriller elements so it could get mm-hmm. away with just having you know like a laser focus on two main characters and nobody else the whole point was a character study gosling and stone are mostly mostly because stone absolutely kills her final number thank god um uh, just okay singers at best um like gossing especially is pitchy as shit um and it's clear that they basically just kind of you know like exist like were cast here because they are movie stars like they look like old-fashioned movie stars and that fits for the um like hyper faithful recreation of golden age hollywood musicals that it's going for but the fact that they can't sing great kind of you know like takes the shine off somewhat um i think they're fine i think they're okay dancers like no gene kelly or anything but um like i don't understand all the massive you know like criticism against pepper of dancing i think that's fine um and there is definitely a lot of unintended white savior white focus undercurrents running through the film uh with you know the white guy uh, yeah with the fact the minimum of black people despite being a jazz film and ryan gosling being this intended savior of jazz music as if it's like some kind of art form that's dying on the side of the road and only he can bring it back to life and John Legend is perverting the art form and also uninterested in... in ex- oh, I didn't get that impression. I didn't get that he was perverting. No, no. He talks about how it's cha- it's evolving and changing. Yeah. I don't think he... I'm going to get on to I mean, I think they make that very yeah. clear. No, no, I'm getting on to that in a second. Don't worry. Um, that's why I mentioned the word unintentional. Um, and as well as like of not also um, examining the... But yeah, like the biases, like like the um, support systems about there in place for Stone and Gosling, and that they're making their way up in Hollywood as you know, white people. But I had a huge smile on my face the entire, and a soaring feeling in my heart from basically start to finish. Like, look, I I actually come down a bit more on the Steve side of things about musicals. I had a, I had that phase, I had okay. that phase during the teenager years where I hated all of them and thought they were terrible and stupid and cheesy and just awful because I was a stupid fucking teenager. Um, but, like, the thing about musicals is, of course, is that the song and dance stuff don't inherently have to be bad. Like, the worst ones, the ones everybody always picks out, are when a film does just stop for five minutes to do a song and dance number. That doesn't actually progress the plot, but doesn't do anything that ever just seems to exist to show off itself. Like, those yeah, ones are one, bad. You get ones that are sort of like, right, we've committed to this idea we're going to be a musical. Uh, we haven't done a song in a bit. We best have one now. Yeah, here's a song, here's a dance, and that there. They don't really do anything other than just the need that they need to be there, or just to show off. Um, you know, like you know, the acting. Do time. you know like, what I would com- I would compare this to in that sense? Uh, Frozen, and I thought Frozen did it better. I mean, I know it's 
an animated film they can be more fantastical with all the musical numbers and everything they can add in all these giant ice castles rising out of the snow and stuff and it is a primarily a kids film um but i i I, it's weird to say it i feel strange saying it but i enjoyed frozen a lot more than la la land in that way. I mean, I mean, I love Fro- as a big escapism. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I love Frozen, musical. and I love a lot of the songs in Frozen. Like a lot of the songs in Frozen, out there. I still think it's actually kind of bad at musicals, but like by the end, it just kind of gives up at being one. Um, Maybe like, that's why Mo- I liked Mo- it. Mo- Moana, Moana is better in that respect. Um, but anyways, oh, I have heard that. I have heard that yeah. Dwayne Johnson's song is nice. Dwayne Johnson. Who the fuck am I kidding? Yeah, the Rocks. Rock. There song. we go. Get it right. You can do ass. It's good enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like, like that's what best musical do. And like La La Land for me, it was. I mean, for one, it was basically tailor made for me, as evidenced by the fact that it features an I ran so far away joke, which is immediately there as one of my favorite musical based gags. So you get why that's funny, right? No. But okay, Ryan Gosling it. is a pianist. I Ran So Far Away mm-hmm. by a Flock of Seagulls has exactly two notes in the entire song. Like, like that's the joke. She's purposely standing there heckling him and forcing him to play the most boring song for any serious keyboardist. Uh, like, just yeah, like okay, And see. as somebody who, like, who knows the shit about that, I found that absolutely hysterical. I walk along the avenue I never thought I'd meet a girl like you already this movie was basically tailor-made for me and what i want um and though it is heavily flawed what i got from it was just this completely sincere kind-hearted beautiful well-intentioned love letter to dreaming risk-taking love hope creativity connections music life like no cynicism pure passion and a like an unashamed willingness to look goofy without a single care as to what anybody else thinks which seems to have been a stickler for most of the people in my audience watching it who basically who were like who i could overhear muttering and snickering basically anytime the film hit, it broke into a song and dance number as if they were completely unaware as to what kind of fucking film they paid money to see yeah that is odd um i would just want i just want to quickly interject as well because funny you mentioned there's no cynicism i have literally written down and you know gone over it again and again and again with a pen so i remember it i've written cynical I thought, really? I, the, but maybe not about the genre or about or about that. I thought it was incredibly cynical about relationships. Ah. The idea that you that you cannot both have dreams. You there's no such thing as compromise. You either separate, and one of you has. Uh, you either separate and you both can have your dream, or you're together and the other one has to give up their ideal for the other. I mean, I thought that was an incredibly sin, and it, it stems again from Whiplash. Yeah, the Whiplash is exactly the same. I think Damien Chazelle's maybe got a kind of social disorder yeah. <laughs> because it's it's just like that is that's uh, not true. No, no, uh, no, I think, not I, true. no. Again, Whi- uh, like I, I feel like this is more the actually more optimistic version than Whiplash. Um, okay, I only think it's bittersweet in the sense <laughs> that I think the film actually for a lot of it shows. Like whilst it shows why they're together, it also shows why it wouldn't work long time, like like long term, mm-hmm. and all, and that, um, like it's it, it's it's less bittersweet and more realist. Like that, you can see that it's more of an infatuation 
a certain time back there, and that then they kind of grow better as people as time goes apart. Like that's why, um, uh, like, like I, I, th- I think, like, and then that, like, if nothing else, can we at least all agree the final fifteen minutes are phenomenal? Like as everybody says. I did yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I will. Yeah. I will say I, I, I did really enjoy yeah, yeah. the final um, sort of montage you show. Yeah, like, like, um, like I've talked yeah. with, like I've talked with a lot of people. Um, I, I was even, I even when I saw Jackie of a friend the other day, Matt, they'd seen La La Land the night before we watched Jackie, and she expected to love it, and mostly just thought it was okay until the final ten minutes, and also believed that the songs were good, but the singing wasn't great. Um, but, but like, at least everybody can agree that it ends phenomenally. I, however, thought it was actually great the entire way through. I had this beautiful, like, soaring part of my heart. If like in this beautiful purely like again like maybe it's a little bit cynical about relationships i personally don't see it because of the way the film structures itself and such amount there but in terms of actual filmmaking i've also seen the term oscar bait thrown about a fair bit as well but while it may be oscar bait i actually think that this is actually the kind of film that chiselle wanted to make and it's just so happened it's going to rake up all the awards forever um like i like it's the kind of adoring beautiful uncynical like heartwarming goofy as hell love letter about that you don't get from many films nowadays um like 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 again again well you, yeah like, i mean the, the last the last one that steve mentioned earlier was the artist i think was a, the, that big love letter to to hollywood to old timey movies right and um also that was a bit kind of the transition from yeah. Silent films to talkies and how yeah blah 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 blah. I don't need to go over the artist again. I mean, no, but I loved the artist, right? When 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 I first saw it, I thought it was amazing, and I went out and I ordered pre-ordered the Blu-ray so I could get it as soon as I get, and watched it again. And at the second watch, I thought this is brilliant. This is a fantastic movie. And after I, you know, when I was talking about La La Land on Twitter, and then again when I was reviewing it on Letterboxd, I even compared it on that. I said, you know, La La Land's good. It's got the same kind of vibe uh, about um, cinema as the artist, but uh, isn't as good as the artist. Having now seen the artist again after La La Land, I rewatched it. The art, the artist's not very good, is it? <laughs> it's just not very good. What was I on about? Finally, the penny finally I, dropped. It only took five years, but it finally dropped. Only took five fucking years. But yeah, it's just not good. I'm surprised. I was surprised. Like, um, like, like it's gonna do obvious, but I, like when I watched, it, I basically got that same sort of feeling that I get from like the works of Basson and the Wachowski sisters and that. But like, you know, I have that same kind of goo- like maybe not the other same kind of thing about you know applying it for film and that and jazz rather than just life in general but i got that same kind of uplifting heartfelt pureness to it and especially since i had like, just like a garbage awful crash of a week in that there and help like leading up to that there watching la la land basically just gave me that same that the kind of thing i needed in a way and i'm thankful for it yeah I i'm gonna see, see, I see i'm I gonna try squeezing a second viewing it again at some point very soon especially since it's probably going to stick around for a while because it's going to win all the awards, so people will want to keep seeing it. Um, and I'm hopeful that it's going to stay about, like, that it's going to stay the same out there. But for now, it is heavily, heavily flawed, but I adored it all the same. And I also had a lot of, and I had a lot of songs stuck in my head afterwards. Um, after, like, afterwards, <laughs> the, 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 the songs are great. It's like, um, so, like uh, Someone in the Crowd, City of Stars, not just because they keep playing that piano riff over, like that piano bit over and over and over again throughout the film, which, you know, like a late motif. But uh, like all of them up there, I thought I thought it was fantastic, and it just for me cements Damien Chazelle as one of the most exciting 
um, people in film right now with Whiplash and of course his work on Ten Cloverfield Lane as well as one of the um, writers. So yeah, I like I loved it. Um, I get why other people wouldn't, but I loved it. I will just very quickly mention before we move on to Manchester by the Sea, because we've not left ourselves very much time to talk about it and sing, um, is that uh, Booker absolutely fucking detested La La Land. I'm I'm not going to say why. I think people should go and read his review on failcritics.com if they want to to see what he thought of it. But he absolutely, uh, it just, it couldn't stand it. Could not stand La La Land. One of the worst. I compared it to absolutely fabulous. Oh, so, exactly. Oh, exactly. We, 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 we shall be having words. Probably won't, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and I will just clear up. I think I like it. I just don't love it, and I think it, there are problems with it, and I wouldn't watch it again. I think it sounds like Steve. You quite liked it, right? No, I I, I just thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You thought it was all right, and. Callum clearly really enjoyed it a again, lot. Again, heavily um, flawed, but I still loved so, it anyway. Yeah, so there we go. I think we've got a, a range of opinions mm. um, about that movie. Yeah, so Manchester by the Sea, not one that I've seen, but you two both have. Um, Casey Affleck starring. Tell us about this one. What's it about? Is it any good? What's it about? That's a good question. Um, it's about a guy... Uh, great start, who's... great start, going going well here, are we? It's about a guy, I mean, it's very minimalist, I think, as a story. There's the, I mean, it's two hours and ten minutes and 20, or something like that. Third film from Kenneth Lonergan, um, you might yeah. know. Uh, from... uh, the man behind Analyze This and Analyze That, of uh, course. And, 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 uh, Margaret, um, most people might know, is that one yeah. that got... Filmed in 2007 and got stuck in hell till like 2011. Oh, I don't know. I think most people will know him from the Proto Sopranos that was analysed <laughs> with the Nero and Billy Crystal. Right, okay. um, um, or yeah, maybe anyways, not. <laughs> uh, yeah, Casey Affleck plays a um, antisocial janitor living in Boston, um, Mass- like Boston, Massachusetts, who finds out that his young, eld- no, elder brother, I believe. His brother, his brother, his brother Uh, dies. Yeah, uh, dies. Um, So he has to go back to the town of Manchester that he left behind years before to deal with his affairs and also um, his brother's um, um, teenage son, played by Lucas Hess, um, that there Mm -hmm. and deal with all that stuff. Because he's been left guardianship of the kid, but doesn't want to, you know, look after him. Uh, And so the film basically just deals with the grief process, I guess, in a way, in a very realist way. And there's a, there's a, there's a lot of sort of uh, more there's more depth to what's going on with Casey Affleck's character mm. than just that his brother's died. For a sort twist, for a sort twist, this would be all of the hour mark, but we're not going to mention it because obviously. Tr- no, I think it would be a dick move to just yeah. talk about. Uh. Um, so I I am going to go back to the point and say I think it's very minimalist in style because the script is very bare yeah and it's also just packed full of kind of emotion and passion um which i think is a contributing factor to the fact that uh casey affleck is getting so much praise for his performance because mm. i think he does well <laughs> you know i think he does he does quite well he's got that kind of brooding quiet intensity but that brooding quiet intensity mainly i think comes from the screenplay and the plot and his character 
more so than it does for his performance. Yeah, that's 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 thing um, for Lonergan, who um, like whose Margaret is also like a very um, like minimalist, yeah. quiet film as well. I I I think Affleck's fine. Like like that, that's in line yeah. with me for most of the film. That bit. I think it's fine. I didn't really get much of a depth that everybody else seems to have gotten. I think he basically just kind of gave sad man face for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think he there, there was a there was a complexity to what he was doing because he had to try and portray a very sad mm. man, but not kind of yeah. be you know, typical Hollywood depression. Yeah, but also, but also like, the film is very much like a very masculine kind of sadness as well. You know, like that kind of fucked up guy oh, yeah. who yeah. is yeah. like sad and gruff and up there but never lets his emotions out unless it's in a sort of like brief rage, self-destructive rage. So it's all very, very, very inner t- turmoil in a way that he, does, yeah, but he doesn't let much out. Um, but there's quite a, like, there's, there's uh, explanation in so many words, really, without it yeah. being... Yeah, no, no, again, okay, yeah, like, there is an explanation about that, but it also then comes back very much to masculine performance as well. And in that sense, I think it's fine, I guess. I don't think he, like, I don't <laughs> think he lets in the viewer enough for me, like, at least me anyway, to, to see more than just sad man face. In a way, like, I watched it and I basically just thought, Will Fort did this a lot better in Nebraska. Um, which is which is not really as much. Which I mean, sounds sounds like a slam, but isn't really as much as it should be because Will Fort was actually really really good in Nebraska a film that's mostly otherwise just okay. Um, but everybody else has also forgotten about it instantly. But there we go. <laughs> I think yeah. Again, like for me anyway, Manchester by the Sea is fine. Like I like I recognize mm-hmm. I recognize, mm-hmm. but what it is is like like is objectively it's a good film, bordering on great. I just felt no strong feelings about it either way um some of it of course due to is due to relentless overhyping like this especially like if you for example read the av club where for a year this has been hyped up as a full-on masterpiece um some of it is due to personal reasons the types of people i can connect with like a lot of the um you know, like father figures and masculine figures in my life are that kind of you know like manly manly men kind of way who don't let their emotions out and so i find it hard to connect with them as a very open-hearted emotional guy which probably explains my love for la la land as well incidentally yeah it might have an influence yeah. on, on your you sort of you know how it affected your your viewing of both movies yeah probably. some of it is just the fact that i kind of watched it and just felt quite tired watching it anyway because i've been sleeping well um, and that you know kind of things mostly i just think uh, it's fine i just really didn't get much of it outside of a couple of great se- of you know like, good scenes mostly for ones that are you know like, quiet dark comedy um like for example sections where lucas mm-hmm. Hess is trying to have sex with one of his two girlfriends um but the mother is just like constantly interrupting them because you know she's a christian yeah. mother uh with that. um and also again the reveal as to what's motivating um casey affleck i think is a bit too big for what is otherwise like a quiet realist film like 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 the way like mm. the way that it comes up like like i get that you need something huge as to why he's that but the way it's like the way it, like the best film is just in a sort of like quiet quiet media to realist drama melodrama for like five exactly yeah yeah it was a it was almost like a big klaxon of you know and this is the thing here's the big for your consideration moment and then back to quiet 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 um i actually thought michelle williams was, but i do think for for like a big melodramatic sorry yeah i thought michelle williams was a bit better melodramatic you know like yeah big 
you know, for better acting performance. Like there is a scene between mm-hmm. her and um, Casey Affleck near the end, which actually was the one po- moment in the film that properly moved me. But otherwise, I got nothing from it, which I'm still trying kind of hard to understand, since in theory, a lot of this film should have, you know, put me to yeah. front of his, uh, uh, you know, it's about grief, it's about death, it's about uh, the inevitability of such illness, moving on, all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, I just kind of sat there and went, this is fine, looks very pretty, that's about it. It's lots of, it, it's lots of well-made connect, interconnecting pieces. Yeah. And think sometimes when when they're all piled together, you can't really see the wood for the trees. You you're just looking and go, oh, that's a that's a good script. That's a, that's really well shot. I like this particular thing, this aspect, and you kind of pick it out because it's all done that. But you can't really see it mm. as the overall painting. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's kind of it, it's a bit too overwhelming. Yeah, maybe. I think may, maybe a second viewing might make it better, or maybe not. Like might might suddenly reveal greatness to it but what well well not so much grace but like might have me recognize emotionally a kind of grace Mm -hmm. but for the most part i just kind again i don't really have any strong feelings one way or another it's not bad like it's not like those times when i watch a film and just go i was bored but like i wasn't bored i was i guess you could say engaged but i just did not feel anything one way or another about this film for the most part i just thought it was fine I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, what do I know? I, I really enjoyed Triple X Return of Xander Cage. So that's that, that's my qualifier <laughs> for, this, for this year. Yeah, there's a film we're not reviewing this yeah. week. And another one that Brooker absolutely slaughtered on his review. But there we go. Not to keep oh, like cutting you off, Callum, to say, but Brooker <laughs> said... I, don't mean I mean, at this, point, at this point, he's basically turning into your, uh, like, into your own Ignaty Vishnevsky from, like, the AV club here, just the guy you get to go off and slaughter films. <laughs> he's my 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 go-to yeah. opinion. Like, he, is, uh, he, yeah. well, well, Brooker said this, so, yeah. you know. I, I would have said commode, but that itself is, like, a cliche at this point, so. <laughs> mm. uh, Callum, you have seen uh, the new animated release, Sing. Yes, yes, by um, Illumination. I know you're... Um, big fan of animated films uh probably more of an expert on them than, than me and owen certainly so what did you make of it i'm a bit disappointed about the negative reviews it's getting because it's by um uh what's Garth it? jennings Garth jennings yeah. yeah uh yeah it's it's kind of not really um but, no, he's, but been, it... he's been pouring so much into that for years yeah he no, was I on know... the old adam yeah. and joe radio show talking about sync and that was like 2006 Seven? Yeah, like Something like I know like that. that, but the problem is like as I, as I was watching it, basically it's like I I guess there are elements of him in there. Like if you watch Son of Rambo, um, there's parts mm-hmm. of that in there, but mainly it's uh, well, it's 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 Illumination. It's Chris Melodandri who coincident who not coincidentally is the, is the guy who gets his big name, who gets like the big name title card at the beginning of every single one of Illumination's films. Like it's never. Like Universe Pictures presents an Illumination Entertainment film, you're like, yeah, you get with Pixar's or Disney or that stuff. It's a Chris Melodandry production, and then sing, uh, like it's lifeless and plays to all their mm-hmm. worst strengths. And it's just, it's, it's bad. Not as bad as I thought it would be, but still just bad with very little to recommend. Sadly. Um, yeah, that really, that really is disappointing. I felt yeah. like as well from the trailer, I've seen everything I need to see. Yeah. Oh no, you did. You, know. you did. You literally saw the entire film spread out front to back because it was such a uh, bad trailer. They must be. I mean, Garth Jennings and anyone who's kind of worked on that must be so hacked off at that trailer yeah like, it, it's it's a shame as well okay i i really liked that hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy movie uh i know it has a bad rap for some reason but i really liked it for example um, 
Mm. I wasn't so keen. But I mean, I, mean, I, haven't, like, I mean, I haven't seen it in ages. But at the very least, we can all agree that for, that forty two will still go down as like, you know, a, 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 like as an inarguable great moment in that yeah. movie at least. So, but that's that. mainly from the that's mainly from the book, isn't it? From Douglas Adams. Yeah, well, so long. Um, the fish is yeah, my favorite quote. Yeah. I say that one all the time. I left basically. I had a group of people, students who used. This is a little tangent. When uh, I had a group of students who um, were working for me when I was in my last job, and on the very last day that they were there. I just had a board and I just, because I wasn't going to be there, I left it for someone else to cover me. And I just wrote on the big board, so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and I had, because they, like, most of them are like international students and they had no fucking idea what that meant. So yeah. I was getting like emails from, what what was the message? What, am I getting paid? <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah. But anyway, slight tangent, but um, mm. yeah. So anyway, aside from my tangent, Callum, we, have you got anything else you wanted to say about Sing? Yeah, anyways, um, but yeah, about Sing, um, like the issue is that like on paper, it's kind of, you know, like uh, like it seems to be Illumination actually trying. I mean, not so much the general execution, but, but like the idea of jukebox musical starring talking animals voiced by big name celebrities doing a singing competition sounds, you know, like the most market driven generic movie that possible, which kind of, puts forward you know elimination's general lack of identity but like on paper it still actually seems like they're trying to actually move forward like for example it's less of a comedy and more of a sort of drama like there are still gags here but there's more of a conscious attempt to go for emotional heartfelt character-based narrative rather than just you know like prime driven prime scrub joke machines like every other illumination film and well uh, i think despicable me is a bit like that I think yeah, Despicable uh, Me's got quite a good thing about adoption and family and belonging and stuff. Yeah, it's got that. Away amongst, yeah, like it's yeah. got that. But the main thrust of that movie is like that it will undercut any heart at any time if it feels like it's got a joke in there. Whereas Sing, for the most part, won't attempt to undercut you know like the heart and that there. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, yo. Um, and also again, like it, and rather similar to what Warner Animation Group have been doing, where they hand over you know handed over Lego Movie to Phil Lord and Chris Miller or Storks to Nicholas Stoller and you know have them make creative singular creative visions. As mentioned. This is for most of the work of Garth Jennings as well. So mm-hmm. I attempt to work against the design by committee, but it just, it doesn't work like at all. Um, Cause essentially it does play to all their weaknesses. And like, whereas on paper, that sounds like them, you know, working on them and being able to break through here. Instead, it just ends up making exactly the movie you'd expect it to be, where it's just got an inability to create any memorable or likable or three dimensional characters um that that you just so in the end you just kind of end up just watching a very expensive jukebox musical play out um like uh melanie mentioned that 15 percent of the film's 75 million dollar budget went to licensing 60 different songs and yeah you can tell that's where most of the effort went into um Mm -hmm. and even then for every left field choice that you get in there um like a, a bit of elton john for one of the final numbers or um, you know, like Superfly by Sugar Ray or whatever that band, that one-off band was called. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> oh, Butterfly by Crazy Town. That's it. Um, but, but you get a big emotional moment of catharsis back to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, of course, um, or a dubstep remix of Taylor Swift Shake It Off because Kill Me. Um, like, like you get that, and I feel like, like, see, so you get that, and. Like, that's where most of the effort seems to have gone into. Like, you could basically pierce through right to the heart of Illumination here by just asking, why talking animals? Like, it's a fair enough question to ask, seeing that animation in the year 2016 is a crowd of, like, it is 
is sort of like plagued by talking animal movies. So you kind of need a reason for it to be a talking animal movie. You know, like, for example, DreamWorks mm-hmm. have a reason with Kung Fu Panda 3. It's third in a trilogy, and that initially began by giving anthropomorphized visualizations of Chinese martial arts styles, you know, monkey, crane, etc., and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of Zootopia is a deconstruction of um, talking animal movies and uses it to put in questions of prejudice and racism and all that stuff. Um, Illumination's own Seek Life of Pets has the excuse of it, it's literally the entire damn point of the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but here, there doesn't seem to be a reason. Like, there's no artistic reason there that you could think... Like, like if you were to ask somebody who worked there point blank why, you'd probably get a stuttering non-answer or maybe a sheepish admission that Illumination's distinct art style and animation isn't really that suited for people. Because um, like, it's I- funny to see a hippo on stage, Kevin. Uh, no, no. Funnily enough, it is not particularly funny to see a hippo <laughs> on stage or seeing. Bun- oh, it's hilarious! Or seeing bunnies doing the um, uh, like the sample from, of Baby Got Back from Anaconda. Um, like it's not like so. There's no real reason for it, and that also is a question of why a singing contest? Why make a fictional singing contest for a movie? And which the film even calls out at one point, saying people don't do people really want to see another one of those? Especially since in real life we have literally played out every single possible angle you could do a singing contest from, like of a power or straight face so there's nothing here for and so the film just just kind of just go through the motions but it doesn't craft any really particularly interesting or deeply nuanced characters in order to do so because there are too many running around with too many subplots and all of them just being the most generic and bland characters possible where the most character you get from them is this voice actor who, you know who've been paid to book there um and even then it still does that usual illumination thing of failing at basic narrative structure like there's one character voiced by seth MacFarlane who is a self-styled rat pack um guy you know who sings frank sinatra tunes and all that stuff from out there who's the arrogant essentially like villain character you get in these kinds of shows but it can't even mm-hmm. commit enough to having him actually be a sort of you know like you know, proper villain that you can root against or hate and there are no stakes in the movie and buster moon is supposed to be a likable underdog hero is kind of a massive dick repeatedly like at one point during the auditions phase he throws out um a buffalo for farting in his face because fart jokes ha ha um throws out a giraffe because he because he like like you know he's a he's a little koala bear and the giraffe is so high up and he can't be bothered to try and you know yell at him all the time in order to get him to respond and then also there are a lot of racist jokes about how japanese people don't understand the english language because that's funny i guess to somebody um it's like so it buggers up the format it's dramatically inert none of the characters are there and the heart just never really convinces like at no point in this film does it really kind of escape this blatant cynical pandering that illumination do and so what you get is a film that just sticks to all their worst impulses still fails at a basic structural level and just never really quite works sadly um but it does have a couple of decent moments like the the art design about that is relatively generic but the animation is decent um like vocal performances are all really good from everybody at the very least even if it's also weird for scott johansson to be apparently playing a teenager um and like there are one or two decent ish moments but then the film just kind of stops after like a hundred odd minutes with no with little actual resolution and just like again like little effort seems to have actually been put in here which now that you mentioned with garth jennings has apparently been chopping this around for about a decade is insane to me given how kind mm-hmm. of again half-hearted all the film is and it feels more yeah, like I mean, illumination I- work than it does a garth jennings work for example yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna see it but it, yeah yeah that's definitely the thing that yeah. um again it's disappointing yeah me. again again it's it it's not as terrible as i thought it would be because dear god it looked abysmal but it's still not very it's still bad and there's little there's very little to recommend here and my patience of illumination has 
basically worn out by this point. Like, 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 if you're the when you're the third biggest name on the block, you kind of have a responsibility to do better. And the fact that they that they didn't even make anything prior to Despicable Me, like no shorts, no practice, no anything prior to Despicable Me, is really starting to show because this is now their seventh film and they are still failing at basic narrative construction. Um, and I've I've worn out my patience with them. I would like Despicable Me three to be good, but I am not holding my breath. Anyway, that would almost do for um, this week's podcast. But we just got our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go with Thursday night, starting just before we get rid of Thursday. Uh, at course to midnight on Five Star is the 2010 comedy The Other Guys. Um, Owen, what are you going to tell people to watch? Um, I'm less recommending a specific movie, and also I'm going to instead recommend Shudder, which I don't know if people are aware of what that is. It's kind of like Netflix but specifically for horror movies, um, which I took the plunge and signed up to recently. I think it's like $4.99 or you can pay uh, per month or you can pay $49.99 for a year subscription and then whatever that works out as in pounds. Um, They've got loads of stuff on there. Some of those Nigel Neal things I mentioned earlier, I've watched on there. Um, They've got Rob Zombie's 31. Um including a, doc, a, a director commentary for it. Uh, they are this week on Thursday adding Sadako versus Kayako. I don't know how to pronounce their names. The Ring versus the Grudge things, um, which has been added on Thursday. So that comes out this year in the UK. Um, plus they've got some like classics on there. Scanners, Deep Red, Maniac Cup, um, loads of stuff. New and old, cult classics, modern indies, tons of things. So... Uh, I'm really enjoying using their service at the moment. When it works, it is a bit temperamental. Um, Callum? All right, okay, right. it's very dependent on whether, whenever this goes up, but uh, Ghost of Michelle is back in cinemas on Wednesday for one night okay. only. Um, oh, yeah, yes, as a re- uh, As a reissue mm. or maybe just in time for that that piece of shit they're trying to pass off as Ghost of Michelle. Um, like, like the Paramount are trying to pass off as Ghost of Michelle. But yeah, it, that's back in cinemas on Wednesday. I have tickets. I am off to see... Uh, if we're not up by Wednesday, or if you're listening past the Wednesday and have already missed this, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Do okay. not, do not, yes, and also on Google Play, so I'm going yeah, to rent do it. Not miss, do not miss Kubo and the Two Strings. In fact, watch it There's, and pretend uh, that you saw it in the cinemas so I don't <laughs> beat you in the face. The um, Ghost in the Shell thing reminded me. I'm trying to put an anime special together with Matt Lamborn, who's reviewed a few anime on a... Um, website in the past including ghost in the shell when the the steel book of that was released um and i watched akira and memories over the past few weeks mm. um well we watched akira <laughs> and I still struggle to get that anyway but like the, the <laughs> memories was there and um we're gonna do just a, a few things together i think attack attack on titan season two comes out soon as well so who knows we'll try and cobble together something okay. which will probably be yes. around the time ghost in the shell comes out that is it for this week then um next week Owen, what's happening oh bollocks there's stuff happening yeah. steve we'll be, stuff happening we'll all be the back time with another podcast next week so thank you for listening that'll be t2 probably some scots <laughs> yeah it's tra- train spotting too indeed yeah. it is wonderful yes. um yeah so join us for that <laughs> next week The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond. 
with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.